Today's chat is brought to you by, well, all of your support. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through Podbean's crowdfunding, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a patron of the FFC, please be sure to visit our website and click on the support link. Even a single dollar helps, and for those of you who are already patrons, thank you again for your generosity. You may have heard the whispers of guardians gathering in the shadows, exploring the mysteries of this world and the worlds which surround us. We are all in search of truth. Sometimes we need to focus that search, focus that fire. And so we come together. Join us. Join the discussion. Welcome to Focused Fire Chat. Welcome back for episode 36 of Extra Lore, recorded on March 1st over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. As always, I want to give a big shout out to our live chat here with us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Our topic for tonight's episode is going to be a general, I hope, look at the uh, <laughs> universe universe of Nier. Um, we make no promises uh, because Beard Beard is back and he's uh, raring to go. He, he might have spent the last two weeks putting together a dissertation on near um so but for actually actually <laughs> it was more like the last like three days i was putting together said dissertation fair enough however you were I doing was, research though i was at that for a good two weeks yes that was that was a problem <laughs> oh hey i gotta fix something real quick actually <laughs> i just uh i just noticed y- y'all y- y'all might uh uh, yeah, y'all might hear me a little better now. Mm. Ah. Yeah, my apparently Discord switched over to just using my uh Here. my, my Kraken headset instead of using my Yeti. That's wonderful. I guess we gotta redo uh top three, right? We don't wanna go down this depressing rabbit hole too quick, do we? <laughs> I mean, it was pretty depressing to hear about your jelly bean addiction and blues licorice addiction, so I think we've started the night <laughs> I, out. I think pretty... addiction is a strong word. For I our... mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking more on like uh, you know the psychology of how blue was brought up as well. That was that was just keep fed black licorice. Yeah, just keep keep harping right. on that safe word. Um... Yeah, yeah. We'll go. <laughs> oh Lord! Please listen to top three if you want to figure out what in the world we're talking about. Because yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so, I obviously, real quick, let's run through a quick intro of who is on the show for tonight. Uh, as always, this is Blue Crew 86. Uh, next up, we have our own master of social media, the one and only green-eyed music lover. Green, I understand that you've been, you've had a pretty busy day today, how's, but how's the rest of the week been for you? Uh, it's been a little intense. My brother, who I, I'm going to call him my estranged brother, because prior to Sunday, I had not spoken to him in two years. decided that he wanted to, well, it's just because he's not a, he doesn't, my family's weird about talking to each other, at least part of my family. And that, that brother in particular is just not a um, chatty person. And I got a message from him Sunday saying, Hey, what are you doing this week? I'm thinking about coming up. And I'm like, uh, 
I'm only closing on my first home and getting ready to move. And he's like, great, I'll see you on Tuesday. I'm like, (laughs) (sighs) so he showed up on Tuesday and we hung out a little bit. He went skiing, which is, I think the real reason he decided to show up is because I live in Colorado and I have a bed. So that happened. And then he had to take off yesterday, right after Julie and I signed on our first house. And today I am have been tearing up carpet and taking up staples and all the other junk that I've been doing by myself since wife is at work. And I am sitting on a hot pad right now because I'm going to be sore as I'll get out tomorrow. <laughs> but, you know, congratulations because you have a house Thank now. You. I do. And it's it's going to be really nice. Like right now it's it's nice, but it's going to be really nice. I keep telling myself that to make sure I get through mm-hmm. this whole ordeal. Yep. But, mm-hmm. Well, and then uh, back back for more apparently because he couldn't you know he can't he can't stay away from our amazing team uh is <laughs> can't even get through that without it's, laughing it's completely even... proof positive <laughs> that i have a mental disorder and oh. then some by mental coming back to the Look, show you know what mental just because just because i guys. take advantage of your masochistic ways does not mean anything about <laughs> so Blue's we, a sadist. I, we, knew, we knew that already. I mean, we knew that already. I don't really have a defense against that. So, sure, let's go with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, rounding out the usual team, we have our good buddy, the lore content cop himself, Beard Grizzly. Beard, how are you doing? How's oh, how's how's it been? You know, depressing because I had to go down this entire thought train. But I asked for this. I completely you, asked for this. I can't pull did. an Adam Jensen on this one. I totally <laughs> and completely asked for this. You did. But uh, you're going to yeah. have so much fun with it. That's what we're going to keep saying. Well, and that's the thing that so I, like, I've, I've been anxious to cover this topic for anyway, mm-hmm. has just been the fact that, like, there are a few stories that have gotten me extraordinarily involved. Uh, as I've kind of talked about beforehand, like, Destiny is to me not a masterpiece but destiny is a title that at least has a very interesting story that Mm kind of keeps me hooked and i cannot say the same about many other uh franchises that have been out there for a long time like i i could look at something like god of war and yes it is interesting for the onset but it doesn't have anything that hooks you afterward Mm -hmm. but it's also not built to do so Right. right if we look at something like near where you know near or Kingdom Hearts or Final Fantasy to some degree. Most of these are also Eastern titles, and it almost feels like they're built to be that way. Uh, versus if we look at some of the the Western-ish titles, and I would say for you know possibly a, a couple exceptions like Fallout or uh, Elder Scrolls, etc. There mm-hmm. are very few other ones that are built on this concept of continuing a project after it's done to keep you hooked. Uh, I think that's why I like Bungie as much as I do, because they've been doing it since Halo as well. They Mm -hmm. understand the idea or want to continue uh, a project further from just here's a game and there you go. Uh, I think that's what kind of keeps me coming back to near uh, in some respects. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't pick up on it until it was near. I didn't know that there were other links that we're, of course, going to get to and talk about here. But before I start rambling too much on it, but. That's why 
I am very excited to talk about this one because I think for the the Destiny uh, interested, you'll find that there's a lot of stuff here that you can tie back to. And especially if you like to create connections or think on things or come to a, a different set of connections or, or deductions from where somebody else is, Nier has a lot of that for you. So if you're interested in another series that might do that for you, I would highly recommend to kind of stick around and listen. Uh, I am going to cover as much as I can because if I haven't said it in this particular segment so far, the dissertation that these guys are getting on my butts about <laughs> is a 25-page long outline that I have, and I will tell you that it covers all but one title. Uh, unfortunately, I had to get to a point where I had to cut it at some point, and if I were to cover near Automata, I would be here for another 15 pages. There are several other pieces that, uh, or there are several pieces from Automata I at least covered, just to give you a, a real brief overset of like what's going on, but there are also stuff that's post near. So keep that in mind. There are reasons I needed to cut it where I did. Uh, and I think as we go along, you may quickly find why. That being said, before I, I get too far in, that's my uh, that's my warning to you right now. Uh, there's there's going to be a lot of stuff here that if I overstep my bounds, I hope that that our that the the co-hosts here will be able to uh, jump in and say, hey, uh, can you explain that a little bit further? Because for me, I'm so invested in this world, and I understand that plenty are not. I understand that plenty don't even know what Nier is until Automata even was a thing. Well, so the that's... good news, Beard, is I'm going to be a resident I idiot this this <laughs> round, because I have never played any of them. Well, that, that is good news, because that means you can tell me, like, wait, what does that even mean? Right. So that's that's good. I'll take it. Anyway, before I keep rambling, yeah, uh, good to be back, though. Yeah, we've missed you. Indeed we you missed have. Out on the you missed out on the fun that we had last week with Book of the Unmaking. Oh, don't worry, I listened to that one. I'm actually kind of glad I missed it. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I don't need any more of that right now with the Drifter tangents I've been going right. Down. Oh me. my god, that Vidoc! I know we're not talking Destiny this week, but that Vidoc though. Mm. I didn't. I didn't watch it yet. Oh, actually, it's so. it's interesting. Yeah, I know. A after tonight, I'm getting back into things, so we'll put it that way. Yay! Let me be your guide. <laughs> now I'm scared. What about needing an adult? I think that's the I subject matter conversation. <laughs> oh man! Well, you know, I guess real quick then, Beard. Let's just jump right into it. In our last Explore episode, we took a brief look at the Spartan program from Halo. If you enjoy the show, please be sure to rate and, if you can, leave us a written review on iTunes or comment on the episodes on Podbean or whichever podcasting app you use to enjoy podcasts. Reviews are extremely helpful as they not only let us know what we can do better, but help continue to expand the FFC family, which allows more and more perspectives to be heard. To those of you who have already taken the time to leave us a review, thank you. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a gathering place where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within game lore, with a special focus on the Destiny universe. With the Extra Lore series, we delve into a game series other than Destiny for a full month, giving the group a chance to get a feel for the other games that our community loves to play. As with the normal chat topics, Extra Lore is decided by the community through a monthly poll. After the month's discussion has come to an end, we get together to stream a high-level summary for the chat for those who are unable to participate. 
If you're a fan of lore in all its various forms, be sure to also check out thelorenetwork.com where you can find a wide variety of some amazing content that covers a number of different titles and mediums. Please note that this will also be the new home for the Focus Fire Chat episode note archives and articles going forward. Extra Lore for March is going to be a discussion on Devil May Cry, so be sure to jump into the Discord server and weigh in. Please note that this week's show is going to be divided into two downloads. The first, which we'll refer to as Side A, is going to discuss events that serve as a general introduction to the series, while the second, noted as Side B, will dive into the actual events of the series. With all that out of the way, Beard was kind enough to put together an introductory summary of what to kind of expect... Don't touch that book. Not ever. You hear me? That wasn't a compliment. Hey, it's Zero! Hey, Zero! Zero! This fighting is pointless! You have to stop! We're sisters! There's no other way! To mankind! Everything that lives is designed to end. We are perpetually trapped in a never-ending spiral of life and death. Is this a curse? Or some kind of punishment? I often think about the god who blessed us with this cryptic puzzle, and wonder if we'll ever have the chance to kill him. Nier doesn't start where you think it starts. Nier is an odd style of game. It's an odd style of story. It's also convoluted as all get out. It has twists and turns that are not usual of many games and stories. It's also not the happiest franchise in the world. And while you generally feel for the characters as a whole throughout all of the games, there's still moments you find yourself hating them. All of them. But that's the price you pay for being a human being, or something similar. Nier's overall interest to me is invested in its philosophy. The series rewards multiple playthroughs with added perspective of why you do something, or the effect you have on something you kill, or a person you may ridicule, or a character you may even save. This is a rare situation with gaming, to know what the other side thinks entirely, even down to certain lower-ranking enemies. And even if you don't know, you still have to deal with the consequences of any action you take. But Nier doesn't start with the first game, oh no. It doesn't just start with outside material, either, be it grimoire Nier or something otherwise. Nier starts with another series, by the name of Drakengard. I cannot shake the feeling that somehow, somewhere, Zero is still alive. Where do you think is, for like a basic understanding of what Nier is, you know, I mean, I know it's it's extremely detailed world. Um, mm-hmm. Where would you say is a good place to kind of get our feet wet and start if for, for those of us who aren't, you know, well-versed like we've kind of been talking about? Oh, boy. Boy, howdy. Mm-hmm. So... One thing that, of course, we've started doing here on the show, I have a, an intro that I know you guys probably listened to at one point or another here. Uh, you already heard that there is another title that actually leads right into Nier. There are several reasons for this, but 
effectively there are a lot of links and conditions that they've kind of expanded on throughout this series that back up. I think this is a another reason that I really do enjoy the near mythos is the fact that they've taken this other series, which this other series is called Drakengard, and they've made it work within the mythos of the second series of games that they've had. Now, what's unconfirmed is whether or not Drakengard takes place on Earth as well, or if it takes place on a different world altogether. Now, the the theory kind of goes in a way that it's more multi-timeline in a, mm-hmm. in a lot of rights, but the problem is some of the structures and so on that kind of exist within Drakengard shouldn't exist within the timeline that we have uh, kind of presented to us right now. Uh, the series actually goes in kind of a backwards order as well. Drakengard 3 is actually lead up for uh, the entire series. Uh, they kind of went backwards from Drakengard 1 so they could kind of expand on why this world has kind of what it does. Uh, Drakengard 3 takes place or starts in, at least at early recorded records, in 856 AD. Now, they're very particular to say AD. Uh, granted, for some game series that are out there, they still go with that timing anyway, so it doesn't really prove if it's on or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drakengard 3 ends around 1000 AD, which is kind of where uh, the events of, of Zero, the Intoners, etc. kind of end. Uh, and of course, I will break the, down exactly who those are here as we go along. The next title, though, is Drakengard 1. Drakengard 2 I am not covering because it means absolutely nothing to Nier as a whole. Drakengard 2 was actually not worked on by Yoko Taro, who is the director of uh, this franchise as a whole. Uh, it is uh, not also worked on by the same uh, studio at all. Uh, it was actually handed over to Ubisoft in order to work on it. Uh, so Square Enix actually didn't have any publishing rights behind it at all. Uh, and otherwise, the rest of the games that are here near uh, Drakengard, Drakengard 3, and Automata, they are all are underneath the same house, but have some different developers. So Drakengard 1 ends around 1100 AD, begins around 1100 AD. The timeline for it is kind of skewed. We don't exactly know full perspective. Nier Gestalt, which is the first Nier game, uh, and also the one that you will kind of find entitled as just Nier on our shelves from the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 days, uh, Gestalt is given the title because Japan had a different version of the game that was released on the PlayStation 3 called Near Replicant. The dates for these is actually the most interesting part in a way, because they specifically changed what dates and times most things go into effect. So you could almost argue that both of the individuals that have a place in Gestalt and Replicant actually exist, even though they both take on the same uh, general tasks as the other had. They also had a either, in, in Nier Gestalt, you're the father figure to Yona, who is the uh, a character we'll get to, into eventually, while in Nier Replicant, you're the brother to this character. But mostly these uh, overall individuals and the actions that they take are the exact same. So these dates, Nier Gestalt takes place in 2049 AD, uh, and ends around 3366. Near Replicant is about a four-year difference, so 2053 AD, but it ends at a much later time in 3470. 
Uh, mm -hmm. Dancing Viru is asking in chat already, like the German word, yes. Ah. I'll get there. Don't worry. Okay, uh, can can I ask, can I interrupt and ask one thing real quick before we get too deep into, like... Timeline and everything? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Um, is there a overarching tie between all the different games? Like, is, is we talked about, what was it, Zelda, that uh, kind of had a tie, but kind of didn't have a tie, and then Final Fantasy, which also didn't really have a tie together, but also kind of had a tie. Is this another one that they... It's a continuation of the story, or is it the same in universe, or is it not, and just kind of the same concepts? I guess the best way that I can kind of relate it, if we were to look at it from a Zelda timeline perspective, for those that are uh, informed on how that kind of looks, because that's convoluted as well, and if you don't know, that's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, think of uh, Drakengard 1, one of the endings to Drakengard 1, and yes, I said one of the endings, uh, effectively is the Ocarina of Time, if you will, okay. for the series. Uh, it is a bridge point. There are reasons for why there is kind of like the jump or change, etc., uh, in the way that any of this kind of exists and handled. Mm -hmm. uh, so to answer your question more succinctly, yes, uh, there are things that kind of showcase that they are all linked in a lot of rights. Uh, mm -hmm. But there are also things that kind of make them more loosely linked. And that's where the argument of, well, is Drakengard and Nier even related in some right? Mm -hmm. uh, I will say that from a, as soon as we get into talking about it with Drakengard 1, uh, that I think it's foolish to think that they're not linked in some way. Because okay. it's pretty well thrown right in front of your face. And we'll get to that eventually. Okay. Uh the only other title then to give you a uh, a large spacing in how much time is covered by this series uh, is Near Automata, as I kind of said before. It's also the most recent within the franchise as a whole. Uh, many are probably familiar with it because it ended up getting uh, many awards over the last couple of years, uh, one of which is Best Music. It rightfully mm. deserves that title. Mm -hmm. I haven't played uh, it, but I've listened to that music, that soundtrack, a lot. Well, and what's very amazing about the uh, entirety of this series, even dating back to Drakengard 1, which was actually the first one uh, released, of course, in the entire near timeline or uh, franchise, if you will, uh, is the music has always told a story. Mm -hmm. uh, if you, Drakengard 1's music, for instance, is very chaotic. Uh, there's reasons for why it's chaotic, because you're basically dealing with a lot of, like, end-of-the-world uh, overtone. Drakengard 3 is a little less so, uh, but it also de uh, deals in some, uh, I, I almost want to say, like, heavier uh, dance or almost techno or, or uh, dubstep music, and there's actually a reason for why they use it. Uh, and then it also still uses some of the orchestral stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Gestalt deals largely in, in tribal, uh, or near, I should say, deals largely in, like, uh, tribal beats almost. Again, reason for I that. I love polyrhythms, yes. And also deals a lot still with orchestral. Again, reasoning behind why they kind of mix the two together. Uh, and then Onomata deals in more slightly militaristic styles. At least it kind of like works with it, but it still has the orchestral overtones that exist with it as well. Again, it tells a story in and of itself. Like everything, that that's that's another thing that I kind of have appreciation for this series. If you're in some way like still not hooked enough uh, without talking about anything yet, just the 
overall themes that are given to us with story, with music, uh, with character design, and why somebody might look the way they do or why they're uh, why, why they might wear what they wear, etc. All of that means everything to the overarching theme and tones of the game. And music plays a vital role to that. Mm -hmm. So if you guys do not care to even look into Nier or Drakengard, I will tell you now to at least listen to a lot of the music because you'll get hooked. Uh, I can tell you that there's a couple people in chat right now that I have shared some tunes with and they'll probably all say about the same thing. Uh, mm -hmm. they, it's just excellent soundtrack. Yes. Anyway. Before we jump into too far, uh, I do have an overall question for uh, you guys more than anything. Uh, your j just more for our listeners as well to kind of like get on a uh, a standing, if you will, on like where both of you are with this. Maybe they'll be m more okay with uh, you know where they might even be because again, this series is quite as well known as I would like it to be. Mm -hmm. Blue, what's up? <clears throat> Like you, and my where, my exposure to it, yeah, um, yeah. Like even like where you think most of the series goes, I guess too. That's the, um, I think that like as as far as what I have been able to uh, read. Um, so I'm not I'm not a huge. Uh, I don't I don't want to lump it into the JRPG genre, but it it mm -hmm. like it feels like one of those. Um, like right. the Final Fantasy genre and stuff like that. Like, um, nothing against it. I just it's. Uh, I've, I've never really played most of those. Um, so like I have not, I've not played near, I know like the general overview of the story just for like getting ready for this episode. Um, I really like the, the whole dichotomy of the, the concept with the whole separation of body and mind that mm. it, it talks about, uh, especially, well, especially automata. Cause you know, like you were saying, automata is kind of more in the forefront ends right now. Um, right. the, the concept though, from the original near, uh, is very intriguing. I, I like kind of, I guess the, the plot twist, I guess, if you will, mm -hmm. um, that you get with, uh, is it, I can't remember the character, the, the father figure, uh, with like when near. you, when, yeah. yeah, with, when you find out like what exactly and everything, like, I think that's really intriguing. Um, mm. and I, I think that, you know, we were, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand, too. Um, I think that what it reveals about the creator of the game is also really intriguing. Uh, the creator of Nier is an individual who has a lot of just really intriguing little, uh, I don't want to say ticks, but like the the way that he handles, like, for instance, his, his entire view of not appearing in public um, without right. like his mask. Uh, I, I find that extremely interesting uh, just from just from a psychological point of view. And so mm -hmm. like seeing how that translates into his game, you know, and into his writing and into his what he's produced here with Nier is really intriguing as well. Like the the underlying nihilism and the concept of like what is going on in the world and stuff like that uh, to me is is a very interesting topic of debate. Uh, mm -hmm. and you see that more, I think you see that more with Automata, I want to say. Oh yeah. Um, cause the, the, if I remember Gestalt or the, the primary one is more about, uh, it, it seems like it's more about setting up the world. Uh, whereas Automata kind of, there's a whole different, um, whole different conflict it's, going on in Automata than there is in the, the first one. Yeah. It, it seems like it. 
uh, there really isn't, which is the ironic part about. Okay, it there isn't. Okay, so, yeah, and that and that and that yeah. part of part of that might be because again, like I said, I haven't I haven't actually played the titles, so right. you know I'm I'm going off of like just the uh, the summary explanation of what was going on in the game. It seemed like the antagonists were a little bit different, but like the uh, the concept of like multiple endings for near and like mm-hmm. how you see the player actually having a very strong role in what um what ending is is uh is chosen i guess would be the best word for it it's not really chosen because um and then like the other the other weird thing for near and i don't know in beard you'll have to maybe educate me a little bit if this is the norm for these types of games but like it seems like it's almost required to play through multiple times Absolutely. There's actually a very large reason for that that I'll like, kind of get to. As yeah, well. it, like near, yes, near absolutely. definitely like, and I think it's part. I think you know, I know this is one of the reasons that near actually got a number of uh, awards was because mm-hmm. they actually use video game mechanics as a component in the storytelling, which yes. is really cool. Really? Oh yeah, like yes. it's really, uh, especially Automata. I don't know. I'm assuming that the first one was probably similar. But like they automata, had some similarities, but the justifications in automata, automata is just like they they, acted, em- they embraced it so much, yep. and well, it was really cool on the multiple playthroughs as well. Right? Like, yeah, it really shines on there. Yeah, because I think uh, is it uh, the logic virus? I think is one of the components. Yeah, like I mean, and what? in order. Yeah, it's huh. it's like oh my god, it's so it's so intriguing because like it actually um it ties in like Automata ties into the ability to help other players and like it addresses like you can yep. you can actively choose to sacrifice your save files and stuff like that. It's like there's some yep. really like meta choices that are really cool. Um, okay, just like from a from a, a storytelling standpoint, I I just found that really intriguing. But yeah, so well, my, my exposure bridges. is 100% scholastic <laughs> as far as like, I have not played the game. I haven't played any of the titles or anything like that. So, well, I'm going to say it kind of bridges that gap as well, how you would see a gameplay mechanic and then also a story mechanic, mm-hmm. how oftentimes they tend to be separated. Uh, actually, throughout the entire series in a lot of rights, uh, that is actually kind of tuned and changed. Uh, or at least allowed to kind of merge into the way that things sort of plays out. Uh, I I do want to talk about those once we get to Automata again, more as like just an overview of like how they take care of it, uh, because it also uh, bridges another very important thing about this entire series, which is over the ideas of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you even see it with uh, Dragon Guard One uh, again as early back as that with the way that the series is cultivated and worked with. Uh, Dragon Guard Three kind of embraces it more because it is a later one in the series. Uh, Automata, for instance, was released in 2017. Uh, Dragon Guard Three was released for the PS3 in 2014. So there's only a three-year difference between titles. With uh, near, I believe it was 2010 or 2011. Uh, being released on the PS3. Uh, so that gives you a fair concept. Like, it's about three years between releases for a good majority of these titles. And if I but rem- it's not always the same people or studios. Right, I was, was going to say, well. if I remember correctly, Automata is a completely different studio, right? Because the, the studio that did Nier was shut down? 
or yes, I know, like uh, the producer, the producer's the same, obviously, but like the studio itself, uh, if I remember right, shut down. The director is still Yoko Taro and pretty much is for any of the games that I'm going to cover for. To, okay. uh, however, Cavia, which was the uh, right, yeah. creators, I believe, for one uh, and for Nier, uh, for Gestalt and Replicant, uh, did shut down. And once Cavia was shut down, they had to find something different to produce for Drakengard 3, and then also subsequently for Automata. Uh, Automata was actually picked up by Platinum Games, who is also known for pretty much every good hack and slash of the last 10 years. Uh, so per that notion, I will say right now, if you're just looking for a good game to play, Automata should be right up your alley anyway. Uh, okay. it's really easy for me to get off on this tangent of like how passionate I am about these titles in general and how I think they're worthwhile of a play. Uh, but that said, I will say at least that Nier, uh, and Drakengard one, uh, the original Nier are terrible games to play because our combat sucks. <laughs> Drakengard three, at least makes up for a lot of that. Uh, it does actually feel a little bit better, but it also feels a little bit more, uh, it's a hack and slash, but it feels more like dynasty warrior. There's a little bit of a mix uh, okay. with that. But then Automata takes on the uh, open world aspects a little bit more. Uh, and it also takes on more the the solo act in a, a couple of rights as well. Still doesn't hold your hand in a lot of ways, though. Uh, but anyway, mm -hmm. I, I did want to at least talk about that for a little bit. Uh, gameplay and story and everything else actually tie back entirely these games. It feels like the from the ground up, these are built to be story titles in every sense of the word. No matter what you do, it is laced to like how um, a gameplay element can be worked with. So that being said, I think I'm already probably like half an hour into this or more, and we haven't even started to talk about the titles. So, uh, Green, before I get too far off, uh, you, you said you have zero instance of what's going on with my this? yeah my exposure exposure to this title has been you giving me the soundtracks that's mm. really been it because a lot of the um and this is kind of a running theme i a lot of the titles that um you tend to play i really had no exposure to because either it was never brought up to me when i was in GameStop or anything like that, or just didn't have any exposure because it's not necessarily a AAA title or anything like that. Because you know, AAA titles tend to get a lot of those exposure, and a lot of these other ones don't as much. Especially mm. when you are not a um, full-time gamer, yeah. which I was not until the last couple of years. Right. But I don't know. Near is not something that has ever been on my radar. Yeah, I wouldn't expect it to be. Um, unfortunately, it's not brought up in many courses I've made fully prevalent here. Right. Why I think it deserves more attention. Uh, and even if you don't go out and try to buy all the titles, at least watching playthroughs of them at this point to appreciate them, uh, you can at least do that. Near Automata also just came out with their uh, Game of the Yorha edition. It's not <laughs> Game of the Year, it's Game Yorha? of the Yorha. Yes, That's I funny. love that. I love that. I, I love that they embrace that more. Again, sticking with the meta instances. Right, yeah. They, they, they are absolutely for that through and through. Uh, I, I think that should just tell you enough with how that is. But I am, uh, in my opinion, completely worth a buy, uh, completely worth kind of you checking into it. Uh, hashtag not sponsored. But just to kind of give you an idea, it is easy to get out uh, to, to get a hold of at this point. Uh, and Automata, I think, is absolutely worth your time. 
-hmm. But the question then comes down to where do you want to go or how do you want to break down further uh, what may not necessarily be told to you in the game? Well, the game itself does have an in-game codex. Uh, it does actually have in-game uh, logs that you kind of pick up as you go along. Uh, and in addition to that, all of the weapons, as you level up the weapons, actually have stories that are linked with them. Uh, they're kind of vague stories, but it's a system that I had actually uh, kind of pitched to, uh, to to Bungie in a way when I had seen that they were trying to like expand on lore back in the day with lore tabs. I said, well, why not allow for like a system like Nier Automata where as we use the weapon or level it up, uh, more of a story unfolds and unwraps. Uh, I, so I, cool. I, I cannot explain to you like how awesome this uh the, like that in-game mechanic has been for like you leveling it up and kind of getting uh more close to like how the weapon feels for you. Like you really get uh attached to some of the equipment you use. Uh, I am unfortunately not going to cover a lot of those, but each and every weapon, uh, basically I think from Drakengard 3 and above, uh, including Nier, now that I think about it, uh, all have a weapon story to them, which is pretty cool. Uh, it just really helps to expand more on like what's going on with the world itself. Further to that, uh, there is manga and anime, because of course this is a highly Japanese-related titles. Uh, I'll actually talk about a couple of those as we kind of go along, because for side reference material, there is some stuff in there that's important. Uh, Yoko Taro is also a playwright. Uh, oh. Near Automata actually started as a play. Uh, it was entitled just Yorha. That was the name. Uh, and because of that, uh, Square Enix and whatnot loved the pitch so much that they allowed him to turn it into what we got with Near Automata. But it started as a playwright. Uh, there are some different things that are in the game versus the play itself, of course. Uh, the, the cool thing is they did an adaptation, actually, which you can hear it in its native Japanese, with a concert that Square Enix held as well. Mm. So there's another way that you can also kind of digest how or where the feelings are for the way that this is. Uh, there are also no, uh, novellas uh, and other journals that were actually written up for this. Uh, there's also a before world segment uh, and listing for each game, uh, except for, I believe, Drakengard 1. But there is one for Drakengard 3, Nier, and Automata. Uh, so between those three titles, you have plenty of other stuff that's there. There's also another one, which I forgot to list here in our outline, called Lost Worlds. And Lost Worlds actually go into stuff usually bridging the gap to the next game. But between Before World and Lost World, you've got plenty of information that can be looked at there. And then there's a very familiar word that's going to be brought up here called Grimoire. Mm -hmm. And it is Grimoire Near. The entire idea with Grimoire Near is that it's more of a compilation of the Lost Worlds and Before World segments that uh, effectively like put themselves into... Uh, one one book so that you have a place that you can sort of leaf through it. Uh, unfortunately, there was never an English adaptation that was delivered for this, but there are some additional segments that were actually given to us by Grimoire Near, uh, which allow us to know a little bit more of what was going on. Uh, they have stated that not everything within these books is canon, which is one problem with kind of leafing through it. Some of it is more like, here is a conceptual design, uh, or here is something that we threw out from the main games, but they kind of let you know about that stuff. I've at least weeded through most of that just to ensure that we're at least mostly accurate. 
real mm-hmm. quick, Beard, isn't yeah. uh, in in Gestalt wasn't one of the pl- or NPCs Grimoire near? No. Was that am I the, misremembering there are, that? There are Grimoires. You are right on that end, uh, but it's not Grimoire near. Uh, grimoires are something I'll I'll end up talking about as we go along. Uh, but there was a project that was actually late, uh, related to all of this. Okay, uh, okay. that actually deals with the books. Okay, because I was so, like, I, I thought they're uh, yeah, okay, perfect. Yeah, no, you're, you're you're absolutely right. And if anybody saw the thumbnail, yes, that is a book that kind of floats next to the main <laughs> character. Uh, that's absolutely proper. So another thing that I need to make mention of is I kind of mentioned briefly before every single game suffers from multiple timeline syndrome oh god this, this <laughs> why yeah I love i'm that. gonna say as soon as multiple timelines i'm using that that's amazing yeah <laughs> it, it is it is not to say that they're the the timelines that i'm not going to talk about are invalidated but they have nothing absolutely nothing to do with what i will talk about with near and its progression but that being said, green, green is, is over here. Ah! She's already like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I got enough with this with the Vex. Oh, uh, God. And I will say that Nier, Gestalt, and Replicant are actually easier to kind of follow uh, because, as I will kind of get into, they're, they're more choices and expanded options more than they are anything else. They're not really timelines. So that's one benefit with Nier and its ending. However, Drakengard 3 and Drakengard 1, oh no, oh no, it's multiple timelines and it's a major problem in some rights. Uh, the good thing is, is that I can kind of weed through a lot of it uh, just to make sure that you guys sort of know what is going on with it. Uh, Drakengard 3 is again where everything kind of starts. Uh, I will be glancing over this as best as I can, uh, just because I know I want to keep this as short as possible and I'm not even through page one yet. Uh, I am sure in the show notes, if we can get this uh, outline linked out to, that'll probably yes. be easier for everybody. Yep. Uh, yep, in yep. case there is stuff that I don't get to, you guys can kind of leave through it and find it in your own time. Most of the writings I have here are as close as I can kind of get them. So one of the few that I think will be great for you guys to kind of see the outline and kind of break it down as we go along. Yay! Um, First off uh, is the Cataclysm. Uh, the Cataclysm is actually where everything with Drakengard begins. Has nothing to do with the main characters, unfortunately. Has nothing to do with anything else, but it does set up the world. Uh, this all starts in 856 AD, and this is again where Drakengard Three kind of, quote-unquote, begins. Suddenly there is this weird structured city that pops out of nowhere there's uh, a large amount of uh, earthquakes that happen around the Iberian Peninsula, uh, which actually is a, a fair place that you can kind of track on our world map today. Uh, this huge city kind of pops up out of nowhere, uh, and the people effectively uh, deem it the Cathedral City. Uh, the problem is, is that this city looks very familiar to you and I. It looks nothing similar to anybody within the world of Drakengard. They're looking at this thing like, where did this come from? Uh, it is also, though, the place where uh, magic, like no other way to really put it, but magic starts to pop up uh, and become more of a, a thing within the Drakengard world. This also leads to uh, a couple different species kind of popping up out of nowhere. Uh, one, of course, major one is the dragons. The dragons were never within the world of what is now referred to as Midgard, 
at this point uh, at all. We also never saw uh, what they refer to as subhumans, which are goblin, dwarves, ogres, stuff of that nature, which are pretty well all lumped together in one race. And we also have fairies and elves that also pop up. So okay. this is very much your traditional fantasy that's already sort of beginning. Uh, the, the the ends for most of these does not come very very nicely, so to speak. Uh, and humans are still the predominant uh, ones within the realm. The other question that we're not sure of is how large this segment of land kind of is. Uh, or how overgrown within the world dragons, elves, and so on have uh, have kind of expanded. Uh, so for humans to kind of be the overarching or overall uh, rule within the lands, that's pretty common within most uh, most known uh, fantasy spectrums that you kind of reach for. Uh, the church is also founded because, of course, there's going to be a church in all of this. Uh, there's also this overarching, uh, thing with the gods. We never really get ideas on what the gods even are. They could just be make-believe and made up within the, the characters' heads because they never really seem to make themselves known. There is one major enemy or antagonist that you can really talk about in Dragon Guard 3, however, and it's one that kind of, like, quite literally stays very low to the ground and doesn't show its face. And it's called the flower. The flower is actually so important to the overalls, at least in my opinion, of how Nier and Drakengard are put together. So I'm going to read off a little bit of this for you. The flower's general origins are unknown, most like that of other species of the world, except for humans. Dragons speak on knowledge of why they exist along with the flower, but those met, those dragons that have met, give little information on how this happens or why they exist with human within this time. It is possible this flower is one listed in a related manga, Dragon Dragoon Uta, Utahime 5, I would trip on that one, where a shadow creature is sealed behind a gate in the cathedral city. The flower's power is one of corruption and destruction. This is seen later with the protagonist of Drakengard 3, named Zero. The events to this point happen around 856 to around 970 AD. From here we get into the main events of Drakengard 3 and those characters. So to kind of run through uh, a couple different ideas on like, uh, actually Green, yeah, the, the Flower and Riven actually are not too far uh, disassociated, mm -hmm. believe it or not. Interesting. Uh, the important characters to note within uh, Drakengard 3, and some of these are really creative names, let me tell you. Uh, the one is named Zero. I am okay. not going to get into Zero's past because she actually has uh, a very, it's an extremely dark story. Uh, and one that is actually of like uh, a lot of childhood problems. The short version is, is that Zero's mother didn't really love her that much. Uh, and this led to a lot of problems into her adulthood, uh, which effectively led to a lot of diseases as she went along. Use your imagination. Uh, and effectively, she ended up trying to commit suicide. Uh, but it wasn't until she, uh, she, she was basically on her last legs because of a lot of these diseases. Uh, the thing about it, though, is that she ended up seeing uh, on her deathbed this flower that had sprang up from the ground. Uh, and this flower had actually infected her body. Problem is, is that Zero had died at that point. Zero was basically dead, done, she was out of it. All of a sudden, she wakes up and she is functioning again. Because the flower is now using her more as a parasite. 
uh, and that parasite is actually giving her function. It's more of a, uh, it, it's a symbiotic, but not quite symbiotic relationship. Problem is, is that the flower's overall ideas, like I had said before, is that it's more there for corruption, uh, as well as also destruction. And its main goal is to effectively destroy Midgard or destroy the planet that they are on. Uh, how far reaching this ends up going is the question, but it definitely does seem like ultimately the world should end as part of what this thing is thinking. Okay. Uh, in addition to this, though, when Zero actually goes to commit suicide the second, uh, she is actually kind of stopped by the flower because the flower has regenerative properties. In doing so, the flower actually takes all of Zero's magical abilities, which she gains from being infected by the flower, and splits them into six parts, including herself. These parts are aptly named 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. It's amazing. <laughs> I've got the same combination on my luggage. But the main <laughs> idea behind these sisters, they are called intoners. I'll get there in, in a second because there's another character I want to bring up beforehand. But these intoners are what effectively have the same kind of powers as Zero. They have magical capabilities. They can uh, warp time and space around them for the most part. Classic, in a lot of rights, magic. Uh, but most of their uh, powers actually reside on song. Sounds Yay. familiar in a lot of rights, I think. The next character I want to talk about is Michael, which also later forms into Mikhail. Michael is a dragon. He is actually the uh, kind of renowned as the most powerful and oldest of the dragons. Estimates put him around 12,000 or so years old. Uh, he bounces between like 8,000 years to 12,000 years. We're not really sure in terms of like an age for him. The possibility exists, though, is that he came from another the other world, wherever that may have been, when the Cathedral City showed up, however. That's a very large possibility. It's also why he has the knowledge that he does of the flower and kind of gives little hints about why dragons are effectively one of the main uh, enemies to the flower. But we don't get full details on this, unfortunately. Michael, however, dies through a series of events throughout the early portion of Drakengard Three and is resurrected as Mikhail. Mikhail is, by all rights and intents, a baby dragon. Uh, he acts almost as the comedic relief throughout the majority of the game, uh, which actually is kind of offset by most of the other characters and whatnot that you sort of meet. Uh, he is also the pure innocent throughout the entirety of the game, which actually sets a very interesting tone as you kind of go along. Uh, but we'll kind of get into more with Michael and Mikhail a little bit later here. To get back to the intoner, the intoner's uh, major idea, as I mentioned before, is that they have the capability to use song to their advantage. The whole idea with this song, however, is that they can either uh, summon up demons or they can summon up angels, dependent on the powers that they kind of wield or the songs that they sing. Uh, they also have some different capabilities for resurrection. They're also very hard to put down. Uh, so overall, the whole point of this is because, uh, or the whole point of what Zero is attempting to do is not just gain her powers back, but it's also to kill the intoners. Mostly, one of the problems that Zero even faces is that she is slowly going insane. Uh, this is due to the flower overall, because the parasite is actually feeding on the mind as much as it is the body. 
Okay. Uh, and it slowly turns the individual towards thinking a certain direction. Uh, you kind of see this with one, even in the beginning, because they start to say something uh, about, and now we will sing to the uh, to the end of the world. So there's something that kind of shifts within them uh, that turns them to say, this is like we we saved, quote unquote, what is left of humanity within Midgard. But now it is time to go ahead and just wipe out what we have because we now control it all. The problem with the five Intoner sisters is that they all control some of the most important pieces of land uh, throughout Drakengard, and that is the forest, the desert, Cathedral City, uh, and the mountains, and I said desert, uh, I said forest, I always get, and the seas. I always forget about the seas. These five areas are effectively where the Intoner sisters hang out at, for the most part, and where Zero goes to track them down. Uh, funny enough, this actually means very important things later, and there's a reason I'm kind of bringing it up. Uh, the last important character, which sort of deals with an ending to Drakengard 3, is one's copy. I'll kind of get back to him as we go, but I didn't want to leave it out and then all of a sudden say, hey, one did something weird, here it is. Uh, but the Intoner 1 actually creates a copy of herself. Mm -hmm. uh, it won't be long for me to, to kind of get there, but it's very interesting as to why. Anyway, Dragonguard 3's main plot is because she is uh, Zero is hunting down her five sisters. Uh, effectively, the intoners are there for, and I'm just kind of summarizing and kind of re-recollecting uh, everything for you guys. Uh, the intoners are there to basically wipe out all of humanity. Uh, and Zero's ultimate goal is to kill those intoners, take back her powers, and then summon the flower in its full form, to which case uh, Mikhail, or Michael, as the dragon, have the ability then to defeat it and seal the flower in a, a space and span. Uh, the sealing part is very important as well, but we'll kind of get to that here as we get into the branches. Uh, Drakengard 3 has a total of four endings, all recorded and marked by a being called a recorder. Somebody I didn't talk about at all, and I am not sure I will. Uh, but we'll cover her a bit later if we ever do. These branches, uh, branching time pads, all end in different ways. There are only two of which that can directly connect to Drakengard 1, which then directly connects only one ending of Drakengard to Nier. So that's where all of this kind of goes along. And I know a lot of that kind of is a lot of backstory, uh, but trust me, you're going to see a lot of these themes kind of return and, and come back throughout the series, or they've utilized them in Dragon Guard 3 as more of like a, a bridge point to make sure that you understand why certain things happen. The first branch is uh, that kind of connects would be Branch A. Branch A sees Zero victorious over her sisters, but she fails uh, due to her part uh, due to not being able to destroy the flower within her body. This causes the flower uh, to have time to germinate within herself, uh, and ultimately it effectively destroys the world if it wasn't for one's copy. The thing about one's copy is that it was actually born of one's rib. So right oh, there we've gosh. got a religious okay. overtone, like right off the bat. Uh -huh. uh, a general Adam and Eve story, if you will. I brought them up for another reason, too. Hmm. Uh, the base idea behind one's copy, however, and this is the irony in all of it, I've mentioned that the intoners are female. They are all sisters. One's copy is male. 
but it looks the exact same as one herself. The thing about one's copy is that it effectively figures, okay, I'm the last quote-unquote intoner that's left over. It is now in my part to carry on what my sister was doing. So what he ends up doing is he founds this thing called the Cult of the Watchers. And knowing that the flower is a, a big bad that he has to effectively uh, take on because one did the research that she did to understand the flower, they actually build this sequence of seals. These seals and goddess structure and key structure is something that actually keeps the flower in check and allows the world of Midgard to continue four years or so between Drakengard 3 and Drakengard 1. There's a reason that I say that Branch A, however, is only one of the uh, possible paths to this, and that is because of Branch D, which actually gets to be a little bit more convoluted in a, in a uh, way. My head's already it, hurting a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say I'm trying to keep this simple, but it yeah. doesn't happen. Uh, hmm. The issue with Branch D is that it actually sees the flower come to manifestation. Branch D, uh, being the last story possibility that you kind of have within Drakengard 3, uh, actually sees Zero successful in taking out her sisters, absorbing their powers, uh, and she's able to summon up the flower then at this point. The flower itself actually uh, looks like a large flower. It looks more like a, uh, I guess you could almost say like an open tulip in a way. Uh, but a very laid flat tulip. I'm, I'm trying my best to kind of give a visual representation without showing mm -hmm. a picture. Uh, but it is it is pointed by uh, its five points, and then in the center uh, is the main uh, copy, if you will, of all the Intoner Sisters, which pops out to be zero. And one by one, the Intoner Sisters kind of pop up on one of these petals. Uh, Mikhail's job is to, again, kind of seal this flower away. What is important more than anything about this is how the look of this building is. Uh, the look of it is discolored. It, it looks pretty well like it's uh, black and white. Actually, the entire world goes black and white, which is, again, important as we kind of go along. Uh, and this actually allows for us to see uh, how it also crumbles when Mikhail breaks it down. It flakes, and it also breaks apart like a statue. Remember this for later. It's kind of important. You make it sound like it's very important, Beard. Yeah, uh, it's kind of important. So this is where, of course, the uh, breakings, if you will, between Branch A and Branch D kind of happen. Both actually see Zero successful in her mission to some regards and some rights. Uh, but the one that actually gives one's copy the most information that he needs to then seal the flower away is Branch D. One's copy is around for all four endings to Drakengard 3. One actually takes care of this early on within the story, within pre-Drakengard 3. I think it was 997 or 998 she bore this copy of uh, of herself. So that being said, like any of these instances, he exists. So that is not in dispute whatsoever. If okay. he was given this capability and knowledge to kind of go forward and create the Cult of the Watchers, however, only, only these two timelines are the effective means to branch into Drakengard 1. From here, uh, either from branch, day, uh, branch D or Branch A, one's copy... 
uh, builds up, as I mentioned, the Cult of the Watchers, which effectively builds up uh, this sealing system, which the seals, one is placed in Cathedral City, one is placed in the sea, one is placed in the forest, one mountain, one desert, uh, and the uh, other one that I missed because now I lost track. You put, you did say the sea already, so that's yeah, the I one did that you... That I usually forget. City? Now I'm forgetting another one. Was it? Uh, I gotta say city, sea, uh, I should have honestly wrote them down. City, sea, uh, forest, mountain, mountain. Uh, desert. Desert, that was the one that was missing. Yeah. So these five effective uh, seals are then put in place around all of Midgard. Uh, and it is what effectively allows for the, uh, the, the, the flower's power to effectively be uh, kept away and locked up. The problem is, is that over time, one's copy actually gets overthrown. Uh, one also, however, has the capability to, uh, to pass genetic material. Uh, and for this actually has a family. There is only one, uh, one member or one path that actually matters for this, which we'll get to here in a little bit. Uh, but the cult of the watchers, uh, is now not necessarily under the rule of one's copy. What gets to be kind of ludicrous about all this, however, and again, a, a common theme that we start to see, but we do not see in uh, Drakengard 3, and I think that this was on purpose, is that there is this disease that starts to crop up after the death of the flower or the, the flower's uh, overall self being kind of passed around, mm -hmm. and that is called Red Eye. Simply put, and there is a big reason, of course, for why it is called Red Eye, uh, but the people infected by it... Uh, actually, of course, have red eyes. Mm -hmm. They also go into more of like a zombie-like trance, and they're not under their own control. So there's something else that seems like they sort of work with uh, these infected individuals, and it definitely doesn't seem like the uh, Cult of the Watchers is under its own supervision in a lot of ways anymore. Uh, like something else, of course, sort of dealt with it. Old saying, you know, you play with fire, eventually you're going to get burnt. And that's right. effectively what happens with uh, with the Cult of the Watcher. Uh, there is this instance, however, and I apologize for any of the vehicles because I can't help them not being loud in this area. Uh, one's copy is a bit immortal or seems to have like a longer lifespan because, again, the events from Drakengard 3 to 1 take place over like a, a hundred year period. Uh, it, it could also be longer than that. We don't actually have like a full date for Drakengard 1. The main character of Drakengard 1 actually comes in contact with one's copy in the manga called Shinni Itaru Aka. And what is interesting about this is the fact that Kaim, who we will get into here a little bit, uh, his family is actually killed by a black dragon that also seems to be in league with the Cult of the Watchers. So all of this is linked in a lot of ways and a lot of rights. It seems like one is trying to atone for the sins and so on of what is happening with the Cult of the Watchers. Question What's ironic? Quick. Yeah, sure. Uh, when it comes to the dragons, is there a um, significance with the colors? Yes. Is it, is it like the chromatic dragons and whatnot in D&D &D in some respects? 
in some rights uh you'll actually see like michael uh was more of a white dragon or silver dragon mm -hmm. uh and again considered like one of the the higher powers of course you can also go off like the archangel right uh idea of course with the the name of michael mm -hmm. um we will also meet another one that is named in dragon guard one as angelus angelus is a red dragon uh we also have gabriel however um and he is actually, he or it, we're not necessarily sure, is a dragon demon. There are also ancient dragons that exist as well, but they are not necessarily uh, given any kind of coloring or significance other than they are ancient and they are very well respected. Okay. Uh, so there's a lot of things that kind of go along with it, but there's also seemingly um, some overlay that comes from the other world or other city that uh, popped up in Midgard that also goes along with them. That this hierarchy is very important, but not as important as you might think. That's the best way I can kind of sum it up. Okay. Uh, but black dragons are at least the most disrespected amongst the dragon clan. Okay. That at least I can say wholeheartedly. Uh, so where was I on this angle? So the... Whole idea was uh, one's copy actually saved Kaim uh, and his sister Thurii. So that basically uh, leads us into Dragonguard 1. Uh, to go down a couple of the important characters with... Uh, actually, let me take a small break. How lost is everybody? I'm trying to keep this easy, but how lost is everybody? I mean, I'm... You since you have the timelines kind of labeled by like one's copy A versus D versus all of that, that helps. Um, and these, just to reiterate, are just different opportunities to like different endings. Correct. Okay. Just yeah, they're 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 the only two possibilities that lead to how Dragon Guard One uh, is presented to us. Like mm -hmm. that. That's the. Uh, timeline that we received Drakengard 1 in, so to speak. Okay. Uh, but that's the, the whole idea of why I wanted to weed out uh, endings B and C, because they don't work to lead us to Drakengard at all. They're Interesting. alternate perspectives that could mm -hmm. easily lead to their own spinoff titles if they ever decide to. Uh, for instance, that's one reason I don't want to cover Drakengard 2 at all, because, again, it has nothing to do with Nier, and it also leads directly off of a couple timelines in Drakengard 1. It's, again, just to push this idea that it doesn't invalidate any of these timelines. Right. But for what we're looking at, it has nothing to do with them. Interesting. Okay. Um, the timeline aspect is a little confusing, just because you're going through so many different stories and opportunities. Yeah. But... And at the same time, it's still going to lead you to different endings, and you're it's the somewhat same story, just with different paths, I guess. Uh, effectively, which, funny enough, is also what you kind of get with Nirgestalt and Replicant, as I said towards the top of the... Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're very same, but different in a lot of rights, yes. Mm -hmm. So you have these opportunities where things could change based on, like, if it is path A or it is path D, and it is based on, like, a, a time of when things crop up. You know, that, that very well could be what it is. Right. Both of them are actually valid for, for breaking off the way that they are, but series of events or butterfly effect occurs. Mm -hmm. That That's exactly what it could be. It's not, it's not too bad. I played a lot of Fable mm. when Fable was a big thing, so the the opportunity to have multiple endings. Now, granted, Fable only had really two endings, right. not however many we're up to now with Nier. 
but uh it it makes sense to me i'm i'm following pretty well actually okay cool so i'm at least somewhat explaining it fairly well Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll point it out if you guys seem like you're fairly lost. If you have the ability to, you can bring up this outline. Uh, I have it broken down by game. Uh, I, I think I've organized this fairly well. I know my formatting is terrible, but I tried my best. <laughs> right. It's, uh, a, it's a big game. It's a big world with a lot of story in it. In it's a large way. universe. It, we're, yeah. we're talking like 20 years worth of stuff here that I'm attempting to cover in you know, like, uh, trying to keep it to as two hours as I can. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying here, man. <laughs> a good introduction. I mean, we're getting to a We're getting a good introduction to it. Yeah, I think. Um, Drakengard 1, I actually don't have to cover too, too much, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wrote out a lot of characters that are here, but there are only a few that really kind of matter. Uh, Kaim is the main one. Uh, and what you'll kind of see with uh, some of the characters in Drakengard Three, especially uh, Drakengard One, sorry, is that they have a lot of names that can actually be pegged uh, differently, or something back to like what we have, uh, like in today. Like, for instance, Kaim. Better to give you an example. Kaim's name is largely related to the biblical brother of Cain from Cain and Abel. Uh, the irony in all of this is that Kaim actually has an unsated bloodlust because of what happened to his family. Uh, after witnessing his uh, his father, who was a, a king of a smaller uh, area, be killed along with his mother by this black dragon, uh, he effectively swears everything else off and just is there to protect the small kingdom that they have. Uh, and then also is there to protect uh, the sister, uh, his sister being called, as I mentioned before, Furiae. Now, Furiae's whole thing is that she is one of the goddesses. The goddess is one of the seals that the Watchers use uh, to keep the flower in check. Now, why is it that they are looking to protect her? Uh, This is actually because of what happens with the Cult of the Watchers as a whole. With them now under this uh, mysterious red-eye disease, we actually see that the Empire, which is a smaller force, a newer force, uh, that starts to kind of crop up within this uh, very medieval setting uh, that we have with uh, Drakengard 1, starts to actually go against the other force, uh, and it's a case of Blue Banner versus Red Banner in a lot of rights here, uh, called the Union. The Union is the one that Kaim is with, and they're effectively there to protect the seals because they know about them, uh, and then also protect the goddess, but they're mainly there to protect the goddess only because of the lineage that Furiae has with the in itself. Uh, otherwise, I don't think they would care quite as much, and the Empire would probably run amok, uh, but that's what they're kind of there for. They know of some decent relations with the Cult of the Watchers and what they were doing with the the elemental seals and whatnot, uh, but they don't take it quite as extreme as what the Cult of the Watchers had. The last uh, couple major ones to really kind of bring up, though, uh, Angelus I've already talked about a little bit. Angelus is a red dragon that actually makes a pact with Kine. The reason for this is that both uh, Angelus and Kaim are basically on death's door. Uh, during the initial battle uh, with the Empire outside of uh, the keep that actually prote- uh, that protects Furiae, 
uh, Kaim is mortally wounded. And what he finds is this red dragon inside of the keep after he goes back to basically rout the troops that actually ha uh, that had entered the keep itself. Uh, long story short, this pact actually gives both of them life again. Uh, and as it kind of is mentioned, or sounds like, if one dies, the other dies as well. So okay. if Kaim is cut down in battle, Angelus is also cut down in battle. They are eternally linked in a lot of ways here. Uh, there's supposedly some other stuff that kind of goes back with uh, the way that a, uh, a, a pact mate might also act on death, so to speak. Uh, like if something happens to its corpse, something else might happen uh, very typically of the same with the other corpse. Uh, it's non-confirmed, but there's apparently something additional with the packs themselves, uh, which is interesting only because it ties into what we're going to get to with the ending in Drakengard 1. The other two that are very important uh, is Sere and Mana. Sere is the son of Ramia. Uh, Mana is the sister of Sere and also the daughter of Ramia. The reason that these two are so important is because they are, I think it's two generations down, linked with one's copy. This is the fair direct linking with uh, one's offspring. Ramia is one generation removed from one. Uh, meanwhile, Mana and Seri are the next generation right after. These are both young kids. Okay. Seri uh, actually has a, uh, a bit of an interesting thing with him, however. Uh, only because he has a pact with a golem, which is another magical race that kind of exists. They actually only exist because of magic, uh, but they are largely linked to earth and earth protection and so on. Is it like uh, a traditional golem where it is um, like a material of some sort that is um, animated by the magic? Yeah, okay. largely. Uh, okay. You can also generally see what type of magic they're laced to, be it like uh, wind or earth or fire, etc. Uh, the one that uh, Sere has is largely uh, seen as like a wind golem. Mm -hmm. You see a couple of them actually in Drakengard 3, so they're not new to the franchise at all, or they're not uh, explicably there with Drakengard 1, but they still kind of follow the same ideas. Uh, okay. Mana is the interesting one, however. Mana is the main antagonist of Drakengard. She actually is the one that takes over the Cult of the Watchers. She becomes the High Priestess of the Cult of the Watchers. She's also the one that throws out one. So overall, this little girl is the one that's kind of in charge uh, of all of it. Uh, she also inherits a trait of uh, what was very specific to Zero originally. Uh, and what was also very specific to any uh, uh, to one as well. One had red eyes. Mm -hmm. Zero also had red eyes. Is it because uh, she had the um, that mutated like the disease that you were talking about earlier? Red eye disease? No. Mm -hmm. Okay. No. Because red eye disease didn't start to crop up until after the flower had already been broken down. Come on, okay. Grant. that would be too easy. Yeah, oh, that's why I was like, asking. <laughs> I, I mean. <laughs> That's why I was asking. No, yeah. But it, it's also interesting because timing of how all this works as well, uh, it seems like it took about 100 years, 90 years, somewhere around there, uh, in order for this red-eye disease to crop up and start to be a thing. 
So mm-hmm. again, the reason for Sere and Mana to be uh, so important and why they're like a couple generations removed from one's copy makes sense as to why all of a sudden this red eye disease also starts to pop up. Uh, but Mana's whole thing is that she naturally has red eyes. She's not underneath this disease in any way, but okay. she does seem like she is possessed. So as mentioned previously, one is a male. One, uh, One's copy is a male. One was a female. Mana was also a female. Mm-hmm. What's dumb about this, of course, is that Ramia is a direct descendant of one's copy. So you would think that this would also kind of follow the same thing. But Mana has a parcel tongue. Okay. She can actually talk between or sound uh, initially as female. And then all of a sudden turns to this thing where she starts talking uh, as a male. And it's like this gradual progression where her voice changes. And I'm not saying like young kid male. No, full grown <laughs> adult male. So this like eight or 10 year old kid all of a sudden starts talking with a deeper voice than me. And it's meant to be that way because it continues to carry on throughout the couple other instances that you hear about Mana. She also has this uh, thing called the Song of the Watchers that also pops up. Again, song, very important within anything that we talk about here. Uh, The Song of the Watchers is just a bunch of la-la-la-la-la. That's the continuation. Now, for me as a Metal Gear fan, I immediately thought, oh, Lolly Lule Lo, you know, this is just going to be the Patriots all over again. <laughs> uh, but obviously, of course, didn't get to that point. I just had to get the joke in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. The whole stipulation with this, however, is to remember the la 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 because it actually appears later. <laughs> really? But, much, but it brings up much lighter. Okay. And being that I'm talking about Dragon Guard 1, which is the ending of the Drakengard stuff that we're going to look into, I hope this gives you a hint as to where it shows up, because it's going to get interesting. Mana's whole thing, however, uh, is that she is effectively looking to destroy the world. Mm-hmm. And she is doing this by actually bringing up a uh, the same kind of ideas with the power of the flower, however, doing it in some different ways. The flowers, uh, the if you recall back to Drakengard 3, how I mentioned how uh, the flower kind of materialized over the cathedral city, mm-hmm. it was this white discolored thing, and out of it shot the forms of the uh, intoners. Well, there's an interesting piece to the ending of Drakengard 3 that might actually lace back the identity of this end boss that you see in Drakengard 1's true ending, which is ending E. Yeah, there's five endings to Drakengard 1. They actually assign a true ending to it? Not a true ending, but it's the only one that links back to Nier. And there's a very big reason why, which I'll absolutely cover here in a second. Okay. But first, we have to know about the beasts, or as they are otherwise called in Drakengard by the characters, uh, the grotesqueries, and also the queen beast. The beasts themselves are basically babies with full-grown teeth, oh, which is scary enough. That's uh, terrifying. They're also about three stories tall, naturally. Uh, if you if you had to think about anything that might be related to them, think of Attack on Titan, because that's what okay. we're dealing with here. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. The queen beast, on the other hand when resurrected and born, actually looks like 
a full-grown uh, female. So it, it, it's obviously female with the figure uh, and features that it's, that's given to it. So the ending that I was kind of referring back to with, uh, with Drakengard 3 sees a character say, I don't know why, I'm not sure exactly how, but I really do feel like uh, Zero is still alive. Mm -hmm. So fan theories, of course, right now are that either Zero is effectively the Queen Beast, who is now resurrected and has no real memory or logic or knowledge of what she's doing, but she is fully formed up with the flower. We know this from the ending of Drakengard 3. She's only sealed. She wasn't destroyed. So the possibility exists that this could be that same kind of idea. Question, though, comes down to how do these beasts be summoned? Uh, in short, you break the seals throughout the uh, overall lands, and you kill a final priestess or one that is linked to uh, the scenario and situation that you're looking to kind of take on. Well, initially, the Cult of the Watchers and Mana figure that this is Feriae, because it's the goddess. It's mm -hmm. the last seal. It's the goddess seal. However, in ending E, Golem, the, uh, the, the pact uh, partner of Sere, kills Mana. By doing this, the final seal is broken. And instead of Feriae's body being used to bore the other things that actually come up with her, which are actually angels in Feriae's image, which aren't really angels because they still cause the death and destruction of Drakengard's world. Again, why Dra that ending of Drakengard probably isn't something that is uh, possible at this point. They they actually cause these grotesqueries or these uh, beasts to be born. So now the overall uh, idea is that they have to take these things down uh, and to route basically what the world uh, had and as soon as they were basically born and so on. Uh, stop it early and as quickly as they could. The thing about the uh, Queen Beast, however, is that it is an absolute uh, mana font, if you will, of magical power. Uh, and it is actually able to rip a tear in space-time. Yeah. The Queen Beast actually goes through this portal. Uh, with it, both Kaim and Angelus follow it. Uh, what you and I will see on the ground is very familiar. The uh, void that basically opens up in the sky uh, breaks open a bunch of clouds over top of the city. There's no hiding it whatnot whatsoever. It is a city. And Angelus gives a funny little word to say, is this the world of the gods? Mm -hmm. Cuts to black, the word Tokyo pops up. The queen beast actually rips a hole in space-time and appears in Tokyo, Japan, of 2003. God. June 12th of 2003, to uh -huh. be absolutely exact. So, from uh, uh, the basis, actually, that we have from here uh, is that, effectively, Kaim and Angelus go into battle with the Queen Beast. Uh, and this is actually done, again, in song. So the song, actually, is... Uh, Angelus has a, a song power that counters the uh, shrieks and screams that come from the Queen Beast. Mm -hmm. And eventually the mana font that is the Queen Beast starts to break down. Uh, it starts to flake. It starts to crack and it starts to crumble. Does this sound familiar? I mean... It should. Yeah. 
because of what happened at the ending of Drakengard 3 in ending. So this flaking and whatnot seems very similar to what had happened there, uh, and effectively what ended up happening with the ending of Zero and the Intoners. Trouble is that Kine and Angelus are shot down by what seemingly look like uh, two F-18s. Uh, the missiles end up hitting them. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what seemed to hit them. Uh, Kime and Angelus basically fall. They are killed almost on the spot from the impact of the missiles. Uh, Angelus' body is actually skewered on the uh, spear tip, if you will, of Tokyo Tower. Oh. And it is there for all to see. Uh, which doesn't, of course, make for a very good PR or cover-up number for anybody in the uh, Japanese government, uh, and also makes pictures and everything else very easy to capture of the uh, dragon to just hang there. Kaim's body is never recovered, so we are told, or so they are left out to kind of say. Uh, reports also state that the only one that is noted is Angelus. You'll notice a tonal change that I'm also taking here in a way. I'm also now talking, talking about reports. I'm talking about paperwork. Uh, we are now within an age, especially with 2003 Tokyo, where things are going to start to actually be written down and recorded. But there's a major reason for why it is. So with Dragon Guard's half pretty well down, I want to actually come back to the question again. How lost are you? If you guys want to sum it up, feel free. Uh, okay, so... I'm just trying to keep the characters straight now because we're we're moving to with so many others. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, keep in mind that most of the characters we've just talked about are not necessarily quite as important anymore, mm -hmm. but they are necessary for understanding themes. All right, that's the the major thing. Just to point that out before you do ask about. It. Sorry. So, which is the big one that opened up the rift essentially in time space? That would be the queen. Queen Beast. I'm just going to call her the Queen Bee because the Queen Bee is apparently just kind of a BA. But <laughs> um, so she opens up the rift, pulls him into our realm, essentially mm -hmm. 2003 Tokyo. And I'm just trying to figure out, okay, so where are they trying to, to end up at the end of it? Like I know where they're at currently, but what is their end goal at this point? Are they just, it's hard well, to f keep straight on that one. The problem is, is that we don't know the overall end goal of like what the, the queen was trying to do in order mm -hmm. to rip that tear back into uh, our realm, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, that again comes back to theories of possibly the cathedral city. Uh, mm -hmm. Because again, like I mentioned, it looks very similar to a, uh, to a city that you and I would understand it to be. Right. Because it is exactly that. There are billboards up on the top of uh, buildings and whatnot that you see. Uh, there are skyscrapers, exactly how they could be, either between glass or steel beam or open or not. Mm -hmm. uh, Instead of this it, high fantasy realm, which right. we've kind of been in this whole time. Well, and that's the, the weird part about the Cathedral City, which I guess I didn't talk about too much in a way. But the Cathedral City is seen in Drakengard 1 and in Drakengard 3. Uh, to my knowledge, it also shows up in Drakengard 2 because it's pretty well a staple. Uh, but that being said, it appears in every single instance. So that's where the thought is that possibly the Queen Beast is trying to phone home, per se. Where it actually, uh, another event in the very distant future, 
actually pulls this city back into the realm of Drakengard in order to stop any of the events that may happen, or it basically just is the catalyst for them to happen. Mm -hmm. We're possibly on the, if, if Doc Brown were talking about this 1985B, where 1985A screwed up so bad. Right. Uh, that's the, the possibility and how all of this is and the, the problem with where, of course, we are with the timeline. It also presents the possibility that they can go as far back as they want to or as far forward as they want to. But to answer your question easily, because as we all know, I get tangented very easily here. The Queen Bee's overall motives are unknown. Uh, what Angelus and Kimes overall instance or... or thought process is by following them in is to just stop them dead simple there is nothing else otherwise that drives them they're just they're they're so far down this path of stopping whatever this power is that the watchers have that they're just like well we didn't expect to pop out in a completely different realm but here we are mm -hmm. uh one thing i did forget to note that is also another similarity uh is that the world itself goes black and white oh uh, and well yeah. While Kime and, or not Kime, because Kime can't talk, uh, Angelus actually has, uh, it, when, when she speaks, it almost sounds like it's, uh, you know how a, a radio sounds in a way, a lot of right, mm -hmm. white noise and whatnot. That's what her voice sounds like. Okay. And then you cut actually to the uh, F-18 pilots that say, uh, Target has been shot down. And they sound clear as day, or at least as good as what like radio chat would kind of sound like. Is it kind of like that... the uh, the tin can chat almost, like what you get in Bioshock a lot? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Think about that almost exactly. So for whatever reason, it, it, it showcases that Angelus and Kine, uh, especially Angelus, should not exist within this world. They effectively have no place to be there. Uh, and it could be because they're, as we're going to kind of find out here, it could be because of some of the powers that they have, or there could be something else. Uh, okay. Per what we know with, uh, and, and this is important very early on into my uh, talks about pre-Nier or post-Drakengard 1, uh, when you introduce something to a system that's not used to it, what can happen? Well, germs and other stuff can end up being a big problem. Right. Or the worlds. Yeah. Or so just that kind like of... the plague that takes over the North America. Right. Yep. So something to that effect. Uh, anything else that you're kind of lost on, just to kind of recap? Because I'm sure others are, are lost to some points here, too. I mean, I think as long as I have that kind of grasping point to yeah. start, that I can manage the, like, juggle it a little bit even though i may not be a hundred percent on with you all the way i don't exactly know exactly where i am lost that's okay. the problem with it but um yeah i'm i'm with you enough to be able to understand where the story is is currently and kind of going right well to to kind of resummarize i guess in some regards uh the only ending of Drakengard one that leads to near is ending e Mm -hmm. No other endings lead to this possibility where Kime, Angelus, and the Queen Beast appear within our realm. There are other instances and timelines, however, where the Queen Beast does show up, but it is stopped in other ways. So this is why it's kind of important to at least highlight 
where ending E is. It got to a point where they had to follow us uh, over to this side of everything. Mm -hmm. <coughs> it's very meta. Very much so. Like, it's, it's trying to effectively set up its entire universe in a completely different way and right. Uh, so this actually leads to a couple things to start out with then, and stuff that we sort of get with uh, post-Drakengard 1, uh, and is also effectively called Pre-Near. Please flip the cassette over to side B to continue the adventure. <laughs> 